From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. And as we launch our 25th year on the air. And thanks to everybody who has helped us along the way, especially you, the listeners, and some of our great guests. And indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're rejoicing and glad to have Alex Parasa join us in person in studio. <laughs> oh I'm God, so yeah. used to, you know, during <laughs> COVID, it was it was by phone, and, and yes. uh, even then you were worried you might catch something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, and you also always... Um, Imagining what people look like. Oh, um, yes, was, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, you know, my wife was telling me the other day, it's been four years since the the COVID shut everything down, and I feel like it was yesterday. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I feel like I last um, years of my life, like, um, uh, and then I'm trying to make up for, for that. Um, I haven't lost um, years in weight or in age. I mean, but I feel like <laughs> we should like take minus points. Like say, no, 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 I'm, I'm really not that old. Um, I just tell people I'm getting younger and better looking, and you know, and, and you are. And you then are, I go uh, to confession and say, Father, bless me, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're awesome. Yes. So thank you very much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. So here. so good to have you, um, Alex. I love the golden mic. Yeah, you have the golden mic. I and, know. And, uh, I feel special. It's for today. our special guests. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Alex is the uh, Regional Coordinator for Youth and Young Adult Ministry and Pastoral Juvenile, Order of the Diocese of Sacramento. Yes, I am blessed to... Explain um, it. That does barely fits on a business card. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I Yeah, well, um, our job is to serve the parishes. Mm-hmm. My job is to serve the parishes. Um, uh, my area of expertise will say I help parishes trying to reach out to the Latino uh-huh. Hispanic, Latino, mm-hmm. young adults um, under the Pastoral Juvenil. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're approaching 50% maybe of Catholics in the Diocese of Sacramento are, are Hispanic. Yeah, well, in, in <coughs> nationwide, um, the church, the young church is mainly Hispanic. Yep. Yep. Um, now, we are, um, we are an exception in our um, diocese because we have um, um, a lot of... Um, Asian American Pacific Islanders. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. Of our um, many of our Catholics are coming from from um, that um, uh, cultural family. Sure. So we're very um, mixed. So our, very mixed. Yeah. Our diocese is not um, per se um, average in that sense. Right. Not that average is bad or good. It's just that. That's just as it is. I yes. mean, we, we say mass in what eight or nine languages now in the diocese of yes, Sacramento. Uh-huh. And people go Make, makes right. me really proud. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. To yeah. that uh, um, there's a there's a lot there's there's a lot of pride in those communities, but they're all part of the whole too. You know? Yes, yes. It's and, not it's and, not like they're they're separate communities. No, and then the beauty of it is um, m- many of our cultural families come with very beautiful traditions. Yeah, that um, uh, enhances faith. And it's, it's a beautiful way of looking at um, You know, you, if, if you could go to a parish festival in all, what, 105 parishes, you'd uh, you'd be a very well-rounded person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want that job. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. I wanna, but, you know, also, if um, any of our um, uh, faithful listeners to this uh, program, if you want to learn, um, uh, check out um, a parish in a different language in yeah. your uh, yeah. a mass in a different language in your parish or a parish around you, most likely there's something happening. I know a lot of us are familiar with going to Mass either in English or Spanish. Sure. But there's other languages, and um, some of the communities only have Mass once a month or right, every two right. months. Mm-hmm. But it is worth the, the experience. Right. Because... Um, we go uh, many times to the Vietnamese, um, the Vietnamese, the Vietnamese martyrs, martyrs Church uh-huh. down on Florin Road. Yes, yeah, beautiful church, beautiful church, yeah. and beautiful, beautiful mass. Yeah, and we go um, because of the youth uh, ministry they have there, right? So, um, uh, it's always so um, uplifting. I always feel like I went on vacation mm-hmm. and didn't go anywhere. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I went in and experienced the culture. I ate yeah. some good food, very good food. So it's always some. Um, um, I went um, 
to the um, uh, Korean um Saint Elizabeth um, um the the Korean church mm-hmm. and um and I took my oldest and I said do you really want to go and he said oh yeah they're gonna have food <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Said, yeah. okay right. yeah. come for mass <laughs> stay for the food uh, yeah, yeah so so I know uh, many times I've been at uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish mm-hmm. and and the National Shrine there and everything and food's pretty spectacular there too. Oh yeah, yeah. yes, and, and and it's always um uh, different because they have so many groups that um is you when you go one Sunday most likely you're not gonna have the same menu next week. Right, right. And then so you can they have a, and then there is awesome because they have um a, a plate from um. Almost every country in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So you have pupusas, you have tacos, you have uh, food from other um, 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 countries. Right. And so you learn a lot about uh, gastronomy there. Not only about the Lord, but, uh, yeah. but also about eating. I remember uh, one time with our family on vacation in uh, southern Washington State and small town, and it, mass was only in Spanish. Um, and it was a, a sort of a fruit picking picking region in the in the lower part of uh, Washington State, and we went to mass. And of course, everybody knew we weren't from that parish. It was a small parish too, mm-hmm. and the outreach to us, you know, <laughs> like like you know, the, the priest says to us in English, "Would you please stand and tell us who you are and where you're from and oh, welcome?" Nice. And then uh-huh. you know, people saying, "Oh, we've got this over in the hall," you know, after uh-huh. after mass and just. It was just so welcoming, and that's the way it is here. I, I remember one time we were, I, I think we had to pick up somebody at the airport, and our, our Sunday schedule was really messed up. And I said, well, I know the cathedral has all kinds of masses. Let's, we'll figure out one that, that's going to work. And I'm looking at 3 p.m., Chinese. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, oh my goodness! I didn't, I d- hadn't known until then in, uh, in this diocese that we'd had. Yeah, mass and it's in a Chinese. beautiful community. Yes, there. it is. Um, yeah, the the community that uh, celebrates um, in Chinese. Yeah, and um, the priest that is there, he's so joyful. Forgetting his. Well, the, I uh, think the one that was, the time we went, I think was his name was Father Ho, but I'm not positive. Yes, I am. Oh, I know him and his. Um, if you're listening, Father, I'm sorry, but he's <laughs> he's an awesome, an awesome. Um, he's he's he lives in um, Elk Grove and uh, okay. serves in the yeah. cathedral for the masses. Yeah, but he's um he's a really um, a uh, joyful, yeah. joyful person. Oh, that's wonderful, I wonderful. Like that. mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did you travel around to the various parishes? Yes. Um, is part of our um, is a main part of our um position um, to visit parishes and uh, meet up the people that are doing, um, well, I also do confirmation, mm-hmm. so I'm going and observe, support in any way I can the different parishes that do um, our serving. And so I get to experience um variety of um, ways um, our parishes are responding and trying to reach out to the to the young people. Mm-hmm. Do do most parishes have like a youth ministry? No, no. A youth ministry per se. Um, we're um, a post confirmation program. Mm-hmm. No, unfortunately, we're working on it. Um, it's um, it's it's not easy to do. It's a tough age, and it takes a lot of uh, patience and dedication, and that's where we um struggle to come to on the patience part because a lot of people have a lot of very holy great ideas but then it takes a lot of patience yeah to to get anything and you have to you know you have to Mm -hmm. convince the kids to come and Uh and, Mm -hmm. uh that's that's sort of one of those stages you know you you hear about it you know we have obviously baptism and and first confession and holy communion and and then confirmation and then it's like we're where where do we go from here? You know, there's not there's not sort of an organized step. Yes. Next step, and so sometimes if you're lucky, they go off to college and they 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 find a Newman Center, mm-hmm. but they don't all find the Newman Center. No. And I know I know in, in my hometown uh, of Davis, the the Newman Center there's very active, and mm-hmm. and uh, 
one of my daughters is very active in it okay. and has really, really, really helped her out. She's not a UC Davis student. She's a Sacramento City College student, but mm-hmm. they they welcomed her, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's become a, a big part of her life. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's an honest way of finding uh, meaningful relationships mm-hmm. and meeting people that are um, safe people that are, yeah. we are all in it together um, yeah. to uh, follow the same God. Yeah. And the same principles. It's a beautiful if um if anybody has some grandchildren college age or children college age um and they want to know um, um or a life um hack right how to keep yeah. the kids motivated. I mean invite them to go to the Newman. Yeah, you know the, a, a lot of a lot of quote unquote social activities, but a lot of uh, almost all of them wrapped around the church, but mm-hmm. but uh, but a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know there. My daughter's on. I don't know the the council or something there, mm-hmm. and and they're going up to Trinity Pines this weekend for a retreat. You yeah, know, yeah, up, yeah. up in Colfax, mm-hmm. and she's just she she hasn't done things like that before, mm-hmm. and she's just beside herself, mm-hmm. counting down the days until she gets to go to. She hasn't been there before. Oh, and okay, I've told great. her it's a you know beautiful There's facility. Be and, all this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, I, I would recommend if you if if you have a high school senior that's probably going off to college, research that college. Almost every college, whether mm-hmm. they're public or or Catholic, will have uh, a Newman Center. Yes, uh, it's, it's very very common universally uh, throughout the United States, and check it out and and reach out to them. And maybe when you're moving them into the dorm, go to mass at the Newman Center. There, there's something with. Um, in public colleges are called the Newman mm-hmm. Labs, the right. Newman Center. Right. Um, and um, usually Catholic colleges already have campus ministry. Right, in, right. Involved in it. But um, if, if anybody is going to a public school, there is something called a Newman Guide. Mm-hmm. You Google Newman Guide, it tells you where, where, where um, it is. Uh, at what it, time the masses are. Right. Where, um, uh, the, who the person in charge is. And right. you can make them, um, when they go and visit um, the college, they can make it up right. to go and visit. And most of the ones on public universities are not right on the campus, but well, I, I look at the three here in the Diocese of Sacramento at Sac State, Chico, and UC Davis. They're all within about a block of the campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd think you're on the campus, mm-hmm. but and so it's very, very convenient. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. and, and they have campus activities as well. A lot of like campus Davis, activities. Davis is one, one example there. They get together in the quad to pray the to rosary. pray the rosary. My daughter mm-hmm. uh, told yeah. me about that. I think mm-hmm. on Wednesdays, uh, mm-hmm. I remember I was picking her up from uh, she she works at Safeway and uh, picking her up, and she said, "I need to get to the campus." I said, "Oh, what for? Oh, we're praying the rosary at the Memorial Union uh, on a tr- at a tree outside the, mm-hmm. the Memorial Union." I said, "Well, isn't that wonderful?" Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know? and and it's um, it's an awesome way of doing uh, witness and right. And being present, yes. Right. So the Newman's, Newman centers are um, um, beautiful ways to, to connect a young adult to the faith. Yeah. And they have masses, like usually the Sunday mass runs late in the evening. They don't have like a 8 o'clock mass in the morning. No, da- Davis's was, for a long time, was 9 p.m. Yes. And th- then they moved it up. I think it's maybe 5 p.m. now. But okay. I think mm-hmm. the one at UC Berkeley was like around midnight or something, something very late. Yeah, it was before uh, Sunday's <laughs> right. over. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's, they're very... They're very powerful, and it's and it's an age where you know sometimes they get away from home and they're doing their own thing, and mm-hmm. it's it's just nice to know that that faith community is there. Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder, yeah, that we are not alone, yeah, and uh, that we still have uh, responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. um, I'm glad I'm glad she's having a, a good experience. Very good, anyway. very good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and they've yeah. they've taken her in like a like a family member. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. And, I give I give uh, I give the, the people running it a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot oh, yeah, of they're, they're wonderful. They're young adults themselves. Exactly. I and mean, they're so full of energy. Yeah. And, and very honest. Yeah. Very um uh, very um um, Pope Francis um wrote the encyclical to young people, and um, he said that um, whomever is in leadership needs to be honest, transparent, mm-hmm. and uh, and I every time I see the leadership in the Newmans, I like wow. Yeah, these are very honest, transparent people. I mean, you can truly uh, see them mm-hmm. and see God. Indeed, 
Alex, uh, before we move on to an event that you're, you're uh, putting on very shortly, I, I, I wanted to go back to this summer and you went to Portugal. Yes. And your, your witness from there, to me, was very powerful. It, I went home and told my wife, I said, you know, next time there's a World Youth Day, we're going. Amen. You we're going to go to Korea. Is it Korea? Uh, South Korea. Have they already yes. named it? Seoul. Uh-huh. Yes. It's uh, in Seoul. Uh-huh, Seoul. Wow. I know it is. Well, we can call Seoul. it S-O-U-L. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. It's going to be, um, it is, um, um, I mean, it's going to be something completely new for, for a lot of us because we, Sure. Is, although English is spoken, sure. um, the spoken language, um, uh, like um, my wife and I were talking about it because it's going to be, when, when I went to Germany, it was very hard to read the signs, especially mm-hmm. on the metro, trying to figure out the stop before it's right, right. the words keep going really fast. I mean, Seoul is going to be harder, I think, so it's going to be a true pilgrimage. Wow. But and it's going to be beautiful. Is that three years? How, how's, uh, uh, 2027. 2027. Uh, because 2025 is, is the big uh, jubilee year, oh, okay. and there's going to be an event right. in Rome for young people. And right. then uh, 2027 is going to be the one in Seoul. Right. Mm-hmm. Every 25 is a jubilee. Yes. Um, jubilee, what is it? Uh, Witnesses of Hope. Um, mm-hmm. Pilgrims of Hope. I mm-hmm. think that's the name of the, of the jubilee. And there will be events in Rome. Every, every month. It starts on, in July. Um, in July. starts in December, uh, the first Sunday of Advent. Oh, okay. And then uh, 2024. And then every month it has a jubilee for... Um, uh, w- a specific group. So there's going to be jubilees uh, for communications. Oh, you well. should go to that one. Oh, I mean, good. That, that's your jubilee. Yeah. Right there. Wow. The month is, is, is um, um, uh, for deacons, for priests, for religious. Um, they have one for young people. Um, um, I think the Pope is adding one for children because mm-hmm. he just had um, an event for um, where he had like a mini world, you say, for children, which mm-hmm. was only like couple of days and then um uh, for married people for um elderly for and these will all be at separate times uh-huh, yeah oh, wow. like every, every once a month there's going to be a specific um, um uh, focus area um uh, and um some is is designated to, to a particular um wow communications that's very interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i know there's one for communications good i've heard the gelato is pretty good in rome it's very good <laughs> Very good. Uh-huh. What is it? Um, no, it's not Tom and Jerry's. What's the name of the Jerry's ice cream? The, um, Tom and Jerry's. Is is that what it is? Tom and Jerry's. They, they have one that is um, the cherry. Oh yeah, uh, Cherry's Garcia. Uh huh. The yeah. Cherry's Garcia. Yeah. That one comes from uh, Ben and Jerry's. Uh-huh. Ben, ben and Jerry's. Jerry's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tom and Jerry's sorry. a cartoon character. Yeah, or something. I know. Yeah. I, I yeah. That's how much ice cream. Yeah. I but Ben and Jerry's the Dara ice cream flavor. They, it comes from uh, uh, Plaza Piazza Novona oh, wow. in, uh, in uh, Rome. In Rome. And there's this one particular gelato place that they um, that they, they found the flavor, and then uh, they made it into an ice cream in the United States. Oh, wow. I had read that, and then we, we were blessed uh, when we went to, to Rome to one of the World Youth Day that was right. there. And I said, I have to go to the Piazza. <laughs> no, I don't care anything, and, and it was very good. Wow. Well, we're uh, talking food with Alex Barraza here. Yes, but that's not the point. That's not why I'm here. Um, uh, you have a big event coming yes, up. Yes, yes, we're very excited. We're going to be um, um, hosting a, um, a one-day mini-conference for uh, people serving the, the, young, the young church. We say people serving as catechists for confirmation, as, as leaders for youth groups, um, young adult groups as well. And it's called, and check it out, we want it to be very um, uh, multicultural. It's called epistrefo, epistrefo, which is a Greek word used in the Gospels um, that means to turn around. And that's E-P-I-S-T-R-E-P-H-O, epistrefo. Epistrefo, uh-huh. And that, that, um, um, there's another word for um, conversion. Um, uh, usually people... Um, um, know that word, uh, metanoia. Metanoia, uh, yeah. And that's the one that typically everybody um, um, 
Has metanoia is change of heart, mm -hmm. um, um, convert, uh, repent. Right, um, right. But uh, epistrepho is more like turn around mm -hmm. and, um, and and face the other way. So, so in the gospel, that's the reference. To wow. The, um, it's also conversion. Mm -hmm. Turn turn around from your sinful ways. Turn right. around from your from whatever you're doing. So what we're trying to tie to is not that anybody's sinful. We're not gonna uh, do that, but uh, to turn around from doing what we're doing so we can come and do something new. And hopefully people come out of this with um, um, a challenge mm -hmm. to, to do something different, to do something new. Very good. So, so who's it aimed at? It's uh, leadership, and 18 and older. Uh -huh. So anybody that is Le part in of leadership. a core, In leadership. That is yeah. part of a core team. Mm -hmm. um, everybody, even... We had this beautiful experience last time. We had um, the other event that we had in November where um, uh, um, um, an older parishioner came to our, um, we were going to talk about the Eucharist and how to, how to become Eucharistic with the young people. And she came out of it very full of uh, um, desire that she went to the prison. She said, you know, we're going to start a, a youth group here. Mm. What can I do to help? So she was not um, the youth group leader. She just had a heart for young people. Wow. And she came out really full of uh, energy. So um, we're aiming people that are already serving um, uh, youth mm -hmm. or young adults. Mm -hmm. That's our aim. Very good, very good. From from all over the diocese. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And it'll it'll be here at the Pastoral Center, twenty one ten Broadway, uh, in Sacramento, January twenty seventh. Yes. Uh, and that's a Saturday. That's a Saturday. From ten ten to three. Yes, and there is a class um, uh, for the registration because we are going to be serving lunch, and there is an RSVP. So people can just go to the scd.org in the events, and, uh, and you can find the word epistrefo there. Epistrefo. Yes, I'm going to use that, epistrefo. Yeah, when, yeah. when you, when, when you want somebody to turn around and say, yeah. epistrefo, uh, yeah. <laughs> look at me, epistrefo. And then they'll say, "What? What did you say? Uh, what, what on earth are you talking about?" Yeah, that will be. I'll yeah, try. Yeah. I'll try to my kids. Mm -hmm. There you go. I want to tell me what happens. I yeah, okay, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have a keynote speaker, Raymond Chang. Tell us a little yeah, bit so about Raymond, him. Raymond Chang is the executive director of Ten by Ten. It's a global initiative to reach out. Um, I think it's a million young people by by. Uh, I think it's next year. So they they it's a um, non-denominational ecumenical group is working with the Catholic Church as well to change and transform our minds so we can uh, reach out young people. Mm. And, uh, and the word they're using is disciple. Um, it's not a word we use, um, right. but we understand that it means to bring them into a full um, uh, belonging to the church. Is, is he uh, an author or? Um, uh, he's a creator, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, and th there's a lot of um. If there's a website, um, the ten by ten, I think it's ten it's, by ten dot org. And they spell out the number ten and then the X times and then the number ten. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Dot org. So right. T e n x number one zero. Right. Um. Dot org. And they have um um I don't remember um if he wrote if there's a book yeah um, but I know there's some um, because we went um I've heard him already twice in Catholic conferences that mm -hmm. I've had and uh, and it's just um um uh, uh, mind changing heart really yes yes and the passion that he has to um uh, want to transform the the youth culture is very palpable. Is he a minister of some kind? Do you know? Um, my understanding is he's not. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's ever. Um, I don't. Himself. I don't see it in his title. Yeah, and um, and he's just um, somebody with a lot of, a lot of passion uh, for the Lord. So, and he's been working with um, with um, the Catholic uh, Church. I mean, mm -hmm. there's an organization called the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry, mm -hmm. and He's partnering with um, NSYM to to do this. When you say youth, what are we talking about age-wise? Um, youth and young adults. Middle school, mm -hmm. high school, and young adults. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And young adult goes all the way to, what, 39 or something. Yeah, but let, let's cut it off in 24. Uh, okay, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Before they're married. Before let's, they're married, okay. Yes, uh, when they're still searching. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think, I think we do need to do something for young um, married couples. Mm-hmm. Like um, first five years, right. we need to do something. So how, how, will the, how will the epistrepho, the event, how will it run? So we, we're going to have, um, of course, um, a prayer. Um, 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 we're working on a beautiful prayer experience, and then we're going to have our keynotes. Um, and we wanted to do something different um, because turn around and, and change, right? So we're going to do more of um, a synodal conversation mm-hmm. and see um, what we want to see. There's going to be two keynote, keynotes and then two um, uh, conversations that will lead up to a, I'm going to do this, a commitment. Uh-huh. So um, we want people to come out of this with a commitment. This mm-hmm. is what I'm going to change. This is where I'm going to go from here. And um, so we don't have, um, we don't want to just talk at the people, but we want to have people talk um, among themselves so they can tell us then mm-hmm. how we're going to, how we can change. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. Alex, always a joy to see you. Same here. You give me so great blessing. hope. Well, um, uh, you give me great hope, and and you always bring a smile to my heart. Oh, um, thank you, brother. You're uh, you're a very holy person. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna start collecting pieces of your clothing <laughs> for the third. What is the third degree? Third degree. Uh, third degree. Really? You, you you just take the gold microphone with you. Uh, yeah, there you go. The bishop was talking about relics. Okay. And, uh, so oh, very good. Uh, represents all the bishops of the state of California. Molly, good day to you. Great to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great great to have you, Molly. Uh, Molly joins us by phone. Uh, the conference is headquartered here in Sacramento, I guess partly because the Capitol is here in Sacramento, and it's really nice that they built the cathedral where we could keep an eye on the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> it's very useful. It's very useful, indeed. You, you're located, what, in downtown Sacramento? Yes. So we're able to have easy access to the Capitol and to um, members' offices, go talk to them about legislation coming up and things that are important to the bishops and to all Catholics. So lobbying is part of the job? That's the majority of the job. Yep. Uh I go and talk to members and uh, go and testify on bills, uh, write letters about the legislation to um, the committees in the state legislature, and just really try to educate them on what the Catholic view is with regards to a lot of the issues that they're looking at um, over there in the state capitol. How long have you been with the conference? I have now been here two years, and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's been a real gift. Oh, that's that's wonderful. What were you doing before? Tell us just a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I I grew up here in Sacramento, so it's nice to to be home, but uh, I've bounced around the country. I worked for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles for a while and ran their walk for life. I worked in uh, Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill for a little bit. I got my master's in theological studies out there in studies of marriage and family. Um, And then I lobbied for the Maryland bishops for uh, a year and a half before I moved back to Sacramento and um, got this job and just really digging deep into the state legislature. Um, And it's nice to, you know, have the the local California roots and be able to advocate for um, the place that, you know, I grew up and that it is very important to me. And you said you you went to school in D.C. Was that Catholic University or? Yes. So I went to the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies in Marriage and Family, and that's on the campus of Catholic University, but it's a little tiny school. And uh, it was, yeah, a real, real treat to be able to to study there and really marinate in the issues of, you know, marriage and family and learn from really smart people. That's wonderful. Where did you go to high school here in Sacramento? Uh, I was homeschooled. Oh, you were homeschooled. Yes. Yes, I was. Very good. (laughs) Gabe's raising uh, his hand. His kids are homeschooled. <laughs> there you go, Gabe. <laughs> My mother was smarter than we were, so she didn't homeschool us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, tell us a little bit of, about the kinds of issues you cover. It seems like every year I, I open the paper and it says, you know, 1,200 new bills introduced, sometimes 1,200 new laws passed. And I go, wait a minute. 
Does that mean there were a thousand things wrong last year that needed correcting? It's amazing the volume of bills that come through the California legislature. It is. You know, uh, you're right. There's actually about 3,000 bills that are introduced every year. Um, so we have to sift through all of those, and um, it's a good time. So uh, the issues I cover of, um, within those, you know, 3,000 pieces of legislation that gets introduced in the Capitol every year is I look at, you know, things that help families thrive. What would support families and help them to be able to thrive here in the state of California? So that includes everything from, you know, pro-life policy at the beginning of life and at the end of life, um, looking at, you know, issues like human trafficking and foster care, looking at mental health and uh, paid family leave and, you know, what, what would really make it possible for families to be able to uh, stay in California, to live here and to be able to raise their children here? Wow. And there's, there's really... I'm sure uh, the legislators, uh, sometimes they know uh, ahead of time when somebody comes to see them, well, this person's on this side of, of every issue or that side of every issue, whereas with the Catholic Church and the Catholic Conference, we're not easy to pigeonhole in terms of politics, are we? Absolutely. You know, the, it's it's nice to be able to see whoever I'm going to go meet with. I look at what they're interested in and I say, well, you know, you care about people experiencing poverty. So do we. You care about uh, uh, women, children and families. So do we. You know, uh, you care about the most vulnerable in our society. You care about, you know, people who are uh, homeless or who are incarcerated or, you know, whatever the issue might be, like we care about those human beings too. Uh, we care about those families too. And so I want to be able to talk to you about um, what you're passionate about. And, uh, it really, it really helps those conversations to go a little more smoothly, especially when then you have to pivot to something that's a little more controversial. You have that, that good background that we all care about the most vulnerable um, and we want families to be able to do well here in the state. What, what sorts of things are you working on now? Well, so the legislature just got back today. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a few bills that are left over. This is the first day of um, the, the second year in this cycle. So you have a, a two-year legislative session. And so by February 17th, we'll see a lot of bills be introduced. We're not sure what those all will be yet. Those kind of get dumped in at the end. But right now, we're waiting to see some bills that would impact um, pregnancy centers that have been held over from last year. Got a couple bills that are um, dealing with the issue of human trafficking, especially um, the the growing issue of labor trafficking in the state. Um, you've got some consideration of how do we support people who um, are receiving care at home at the end of their life. Uh, so a lot of different topics. Um, and then we expect to see issues come up this year talking about um, uh, gender, uh, issues related to how do we support foster youth, um, issues about potentially assisted suicide and um, how that's experienced in the state. So we'll see where where all of these things end up. But those are some of the, the issue areas I expect to be um, really expansive. Oh, I should mention too, um, substance use disorders, especially dealing with the opioid crisis. That is a, a growing uh, issue here in the state. There's, there's a growing concern about the number of um, overdose deaths, especially um, accidental overdose deaths due to opioids. And so, um, especially with fentanyl and, and um, new drugs coming out. So I, we expect that'll be a huge issue too. How is that a, an issue legislatively in terms of um, the drugs are already illegal? And how, how is it a legislative issue? Like what, what kinds of things are legislators likely or that you know of to propose to, to deal with that problem? Sure. So uh, last year we saw a lot of bills that was encouraging provision of Narcan or, or similar substance that mm -hmm. can be mm -hmm. um, administered to a person that's experiencing an overdose. Like an antidote. Uh, make sure that. Yeah, and make sure that that's available at schools or at, you know, uh, parks and stadiums or that, you know, the general public is able to be trained on by someone so that if they, uh, you know, their, their loved one is uh, experiencing an overdose, um, potentially an accidental overdose, they're able to administer that antidote and, and save a life. So we saw a lot of bills about that last year. Um, there's also a question of how this issue is prosecuted, because um, if you, if someone deals drugs and, and those drugs lead to the death of a person, right now, 
um, it's not often that that person is prosecuted for that death. So right. uh, there is a question of should that person be charged um, with manslaughter or with murder? And um, that's been a very controversial issue in the legislature. And that continues to be to be talked about. Of How do you look at that? Um, and one of the proposals um, which the bishop supported was to say, you know, let's consider this the same way that we consider drunk driving. The first time that you drive drunk, perhaps you didn't know. Right. Perhaps you didn't know that that could could lead to someone's death. So we give you an advisory warning that that is really dangerous behavior and that could kill someone so that the next time if you drive drunk again um, and it does lead to someone's death, that you, you then can be charged with a crime for that mm -hmm. because you've been warned. So there's a bill that um, proposed to do the same thing with uh, with fentanyl. Um, unfortunately, that bill did not pass. Um, but that's an ongoing conversation that I expect will come back this year. So what what I'm not you know, we don't do politics here in terms of political parties and things like that. But what's the nature of the opposition to that? It seems like a very reasonable uh, proposition, although frequently I hear one side and then I hear the other side and go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, what's what's the nature of the opposition to that? The opposition's concern is that it could trap people who are um, you know, might not know what, what they're getting themselves into, or they might panic. So, you know, if, if their friend overdoses, and then they don't know what to do, and they, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they didn't have something on hand, um, if if they were the dealer, like, could they be caught up in some kind of legal case? Um, you know, really, the, the concern is how it would impact um, uh, people that don't have means, people that don't have access to good lawyers, people who, um, mm -hmm. you know, are more likely to be charged with crimes anyway that that they may not have committed. So I think that the concerns are really the unintended consequences. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, whatever side you're on, there's a lot of conversation about how do we make sure that, you know, our young people are not overdosing on um, on opioids and how do we make sure that, you know, people are able to, to respond well to this, whether you're a good Samaritan that's able to respond whether that's prevention and education in schools, which has really been prioritized, um, you know, whether that's responding to this in the criminal justice system. What does it look like for a society to respond to a crisis that's that's growing as big as this one is? And the, the issue of Narcan, that, that has to do with who's going to have it. Are they going to have it in schools? Are they going to have it in police departments and fire departments, et cetera? Yeah, so historically it's only been the fire department that right. had access to Narcan and now it's available over the counter. It's available through, you know, your police department, you can get a training on it. Um, and now your schools are required to have it so mm -hmm. that um, if a student, you know, has an accidental overdose that that they're able to respond immediately um, to, to reverse that overdose because uh, time is really of the essence in right. those cases. And so that's been really good to see this this push to say, let's make sure that you know we're we're prepared for those circumstances. And then long term we can do education about the need to, you know, um, really say no to these to these lethal drugs, but um, at the same time recognizing that the proliferation has just continued to grow and we need to be able to respond to that in a timely manner as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe the state of Oregon has already criminalized, uh, you know, if, if you were the one that provided the, the fentanyl. I don't know if they are charging it as a capital crime or not, but uh, uh, state, of, state of Oregon, I'm pretty sure, has done that. You know, I, I wouldn't know the answer to that, but I, here in California, um, there, there is one county or two counties that have done so, but um, a lot of the time it's the family members um, who, who have lost their children right. due to an accidental overdose who are saying, hey, no one was charged with the death of my child. And, you know, it's, it's been devastating for them, the, the loss and then the fact that there's um, the, the justice system does not seem equipped to be able to respond in these cases to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that the dealer does not um, you know, end up killing someone else by continuing to distribute opioids. So that's really what's prompting this conversation of how do we respond in uh, in a public safety manner to this issue. We're talking with Molly Sheehan from the uh, California Catholic Conference. Molly, uh, you mentioned uh, human trafficking. I've heard on several occasions that Sacramento was one of the sort of almost ground zero on human trafficking. Is Is that the case? So Sacramento is a, a major location for human trafficking, um, certainly both uh, sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, and part of the reason for that is because you do have a, a, a lot of um, modes of transportation and a lot of people point to those, you know, 
airports and uh, and international airport and um, you know major freeways. Um, but the other reason is it's it's a large population center. Um, it has a lot of vulnerable communities. And when you look at human trafficking, you need to be considering like who is most vulnerable to trafficking. And it's quite often people who do not have other supports. So those who are homeless, um, runaway youth, youth who have spent time in foster care, people coming from broken families, um, and people who have already experienced abuse, uh, people with substance use disorders, or um, who are new immigrants to the country and you know are promised a job and uh, tricked in a different way. So if you're looking at, oh, these are, these are the communities that are vulnerable, Sacramento has a very large uh, population of those communities that would be most vulnerable um, to being coerced into a trafficking situation. Are most of them from other countries? They got promised jobs, et cetera, or, or not? No. So uh, the attorney general's office actually did a report a few years ago that found 75% of uh, trafficking victims in California are U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of trafficking takes place within the neighborhoods um, and areas where that person is from. Um, there doesn't have to be movement for trafficking to take place. So a lot of the time people will be trafficked within their own neighborhood. Um, the, the, the very definition of trafficking is if, um, in short, if someone is um, provided whether by force, fraud, or coercion into commercial sex acts or for the purpose of forced labor. And a lot of the time that that takes place within the area that the person is is living or um, is, is local to. So unfortunately, it's, it's a lot of um, folks who are from, in our case, Sacramento, um, who grew up here, who live here, um, but come from some kind of vulnerability. Something made them vulnerable um, uh, that a trafficker has exploited and is now um, using them for the purposes of commercial sex or forced labor. Is is the majority of it sex or is the majority of it forced labor? Um, it, you know, it's hard to actually say. The statistics really depend on um what what survey is being done um but a lot of the time there can also be overlap where the same person will experience forced labor and sex trafficking so um i think it's just important for people to know that both take place um and both occur in sacramento um i think that sex trafficking uh, if you're talking to the sacramento sheriff sex trafficking is uh, slightly more common in sacramento but there um there are people experiencing both unfortunately and with with labor how do uh, how does how does that happen? How does that work, if you will? And you don't want it to work, but how does? What are the details? So a lot of, of the that? time, yeah. So a lot of the time, um, what you see from uh, the the statistics, uh, it's it, it occurs in certain sectors. So whether that's the hotel sector, restaurant sector, um, agricultural uh, mm-hmm. work as a common one. Um, it's uh, a lot of domestic work as well. So someone that is sometimes promised a a job or coerced into a job um, said that, you know, we'll give you really good pay. um, And then a lot of the time their documents are taken from them or they are not receiving that pay um, and things continue to get worse as that person may be told, oh, you have a debt that you have to pay off or, oh, we'll pay you later. Um, And, you know, through, through those methods of forced fraud and coercion is continued to, to experience that um, forced labor um, and, and not being compensated for that. And what sort of legislative issues are there around that? So there's a question of, can we create uh, a statewide task force on human trafficking? Um, Because that hasn't existed so far in the state. Uh, Another bill is saying, you know, can we clear the supply chain here in California of forced labor um, and make sure that, you know, the contractors that the state is partnering with are not uh, using um, Mm -hmm. uh, forced labor, which is a huge deal. Um, and it's very hard to, to make sure that your supply chain is clean, but um, that's really important. Uh, there's another question of, you know, is there a, an entity in the state that can specifically uh, investigate crimes like forced labor? Um, and another bill that I think would be really great um, would allow uh, children who have uh, been uh, 
experienced sex trafficking and had their images posted online to be able to sue to have those images taken down because mm -hmm. some, um, especially uh, pornographic websites, will keep those images up there um, and will refuse to take them down. And so those children continue to experience that victimization because their image is still out there um, and, and still floating around and they're not able to get control of that aspect of their life. And so uh, that bill would be really great to see if you could, you know, sue to get that taken down and make sure that these bad actors are not continuing to, um, to, to, to promote uh, this, uh, this material that, that should not be out there of, of these people. We hear all the time about the, the great divide in our country. We don't even have to talk about it. It's pretty evident uh, in, in so many legislators and uh, you know one party says it's monday and the other party is immediately going to say it's tuesday you know it's just so dramatic uh, compared to maybe a few decades ago do you see issues where where there is good bipartisanship in the california legislature i think you can see bipartisanship when you're talking about the importance of of, of people and of issues uh, at the same time at the at the end of the day, there's going to be disagreement about you know truly the nature of the human person about uh, you know what does it mean to to protect the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time you can you can articulate this um, for folks to to a degree, um, but once th there's not going to be that reciprocation uh, when it comes to you know talking about uh, for example if. if if, if I am articulating like, hey, you know, we need to take care of people who are in poverty and we need to take care of people who are, um, you know, experiencing human trafficking, for example, um, you'll have you'll have both sides agreeing. Right. right. Sure, sure, sure. But it's really when it when the rubber meets the road of like, hey, uh, you know, we need to be able to protect you know, the unborn or we need to be able to protect um, you know, people on death row. Like it's very difficult to get people to, to see those things as, as valuable or, or to agree with those, mm -hmm. those issues. So, You mentioned death row and, and when we were talking off air, you said we have the, you know, the largest death row still in California, although executions are rare, if almost non-existent now. What is the, the status of someone who's on death row now in, in California? So California has eliminated its death chamber. Um, mm -hmm. Governor Newsom dismantled the death chamber. Right. Um, there hasn't been an execution since the early 2000s. Um, and, but we still have the largest death row um, of any state in the nation and, and most uh, larger death row than many countries in the world um, of more than 650 people. Right. So these people still have a death sentence um, there's the question is now what what happens to them and um, if a different governor came in and reinstituted the death penalty that could certainly take place um, so they're they're kind of still in this limbo um, as death row is often experienced of what happens now someone could still come in and say yeah um, we're going to implement the death penalty um, or it could continue to be stayed indefinitely so that's that's what's that's that's so, where that currently is at. So the governor, the governor didn't, uh, you know, uh, grant them clemency, but he uh, eliminated the means to, to kill them. Right. And there's a question of whether uh, there's a movement to ask for universal clemency for people on death row to say the death, the death penalty is immoral. It should not exist. Um, it's not necessary to to protect our society anymore. Um, we can, we, you know, our, our maximum security prisons are able to protect people. And so let's just utilize that and eliminate the death penalty in California um, by using universal clemency. But the, the question is whether the governor would, would want to take that route or not. Um, that's kind of up in the air. The, the other option would be a referendum, again, to change California's constitution. Um, the last time that was tried was in 2016, and that failed. And instead, a, a law passed that said, let's speed up the use of the death penalty. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of this really interesting situation in California um, where it's a very progressive state, but unlike many of its other neighbors, um, it still has uh, the death penalty um, on the table, whether or not it, uh, it, although it's not been used in practice for, you know, about two decades. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when, when things go to the uh, referendum of the people, which is something philosophically I've always felt was probably a good thing, you know, uh, you know, let, let the people speak. 
but it, it I, I remember with uh, the two or three times we tried parental notification on abortion, uh, early on all the polls were, yeah, this, this is common sense, this is, this is good stuff, and by election day it always failed. And, and I've seen yeah. the same thing with, like you pointed out, with the death penalty, with eliminating it's, the death penalty. It's difficult to get everyone on your side, and it's difficult to really articulate why the death penalty um, is is not needed anymore. Um, I think it, it comes down to a lot of uh, folks' fears and their desire for for justice, but also the sense sometimes of of a desire for retribution. And you know, I, I think that the, the Catholic perspective is helpful to say every human being has dignity, including the worst person on death row who has committed grievous crimes. Um, we want to be able to support the, the victims and their families. Um, and we also want to make sure that this person is able to repent and change their life um, and that they um, deserve to, uh, you know, be able to repent from that from that crime and, and take the time to have their, their dignity recognized as well. So it's, but that's hard. That's a hard sell for a lot of people. And it's understandable why. Um, it's one of the gifts of being Catholic and having this uh, perspective that every single human being matters. We say that the child in the womb matters. We say that, um, you know, the, the child in foster care or the, you know, victim of human trafficking matters. We say that the um, person who is dealing drugs matters. And we say that the, the person on death row matters, that, that every single person matters um, and every single person should be invited to an encounter with Jesus Christ and to to be able to to live their, their life and their vocation um, and live the way God has called them to. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's 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 very it's a very consistent position, but politically you'll see great divides on those where it's where people are you know very definitely on this one side when it comes to say abortion and on a different side when it comes to the death penalty. Uh, the Catholic position I think is very consistent. Uh, I, Cardinal Bernadine used to call it the seamless garment, and. Uh, I remember I remember years ago when I had a talk show on KFBK, not a religious show, but just a, you know, a nighttime talk show. And for some reason, that was a long time ago. And I think we were coming upon an execution and and I was uh, speaking as the host as as against the death penalty. And and somebody called in and said there's a call in show and said, well, if you're so against the death penalty, how come you're in favor of abortion? And I, <laughs> I stopped and I said, when have you ever heard me say that? <laughs> you know, and but they just made that assumption that that, you know, they have everybody in a box, everybody in a category. If you're in favor of this, you're against that. And I, I said, no, I'm I'm against both. I'm against the death penalty. I'm against uh, abortion, you know, but uh, uh, many, many people don't don't see it that way. It's, it makes your job very uh, interesting and difficult, I think. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's important for people to understand when they hear, you know, the seamless garment that, um, which I think is a helpful view, you know, you need people, people then think that every single issue is the same and they're not right. I mean, just like in the criminal justice system, some, you know, crimes have, have greater punishments. Um, we know in our own lives that some issues are, are, a bigger deal than others. Some some things are, are more important than others, and that's okay to say, right? Right, right. now in our right. in Sacramento, you the homelessness crisis has skyrocketed. It really and has. So it's important yep. for us to be able to say that really needs our focus today, right now, right? Um, that that would be completely different if we lived in a city that did not have a homeless crisis. Right. Then we would need to look at something different, right? Um, so it's the same thing with you know, sometimes when you. When, when you make these arguments, people say, well, well, then are you, you know, does that mean that you don't really need to care about something like abortion? And I say, no, of course you need to care about that. Like that, that, you know, there's a reason that we care about the most vulnerable, right? And right. so we look around, we look at our local area and we say, who is the most vulnerable in, in our society near me? Who are my neighbors who are most vulnerable? Um, and so, you know, the child in the womb, that's the most vulnerable, right? The, the, the person at the end of their life who is um, being, uh, 
targeted for assisted suicide, right? And told you're a burden and really you just, you shouldn't be here anymore, right? Well, you know, there's a reason we focus on those as the most vulnerable. And at the same time, that doesn't mean we can say, well, I'm only gonna look at this one person and I'm not gonna look at um, my many neighbors who, who are suffering. Um, instead, Jesus calls us to a different kind of a vision, one that sees every single person as valuable and, and sees you know, all of the people that we've, we've been talking about on this show as, as worthy of, of being uplifted um, and invited into, um, into, into a better life, a, a better way of living um, and invited into the world as God sees it. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you know, many people don't share our religious beliefs, and it's, it, and I, I have to admit that that my my feeling about the seamless garment, it isn't it isn't become from it came from formal church teaching as much as it did the the basics of our faith, which is we're all children of God, we were all created by God, we're all equal in God's eyes, and therefore. Anything that God God doesn't make mistakes. Anything that God created is is sacred, you know, and just those those very basics. And I think it, it's sometimes hard to convince people who don't share our faith. Um, and you know, we're not want the legislature to pass laws about whether or not the uh, <laughs> the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ or anything. We don't need the legislature to do that kind of thing. But the, the the basic values uh, is is very definitely their job. Absolutely, you need the legislature to recognize some key truths, which is that uh, the human person deserves to be protected. Right, that the family is where we are nurtured um, and grow um, and and where we thrive. And so the family needs to be protected as the the you know the the, the most basic cell of of a society. Um, you need to have both subsidiarity and solidarity, right? So our Catholic social yep. teaching says you know you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with people, um, and you also want to let people be able to make decisions um, for themselves. So you need all of these different elements, and that's what you want a legislature to be looking at is. How do we build a society um, that is worthy of of human beings? Uh, and and I think Catholic social teaching does a great job of articulating what that would look like, um, truly uplifting human beings in the context of families because that's where we we really thrive. Um, you know, celebrating marriage because that's that's what builds uh, your your solid your solid family. So it just you know so many different things like that 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 we get to celebrate as Catholics and really um, really promote. We're talking with Molly Sheehan, who's the Associate Director for Healthy Families at the California Catholic Conference, representing all the bishops of the uh, state of California. Molly, you mentioned end of life and and beyond the, you know, the assisted suicide and all that. There, there are a lot of people uh, taking care of, uh, uh, not necessarily in hospice, but somebody, uh, I, I remember with my own father, he had Parkinson's for a number of years and gradually debilitated and need more care and need more care. And it, it fell mostly on the family members. Tell us what's available. I, I was talking to somebody the other day who was in that situation. And don't, don't we sometimes even allow family members to be paid some bit to take care of another family member? Yeah, so there there is resources to to be able to be paid for you know care caregiving, especially um, it's called in home supportive services, mm -hmm. and so sometimes you can be a paid caregiver if you're you know really caregiving has become your full time job, um, and. I just want to say, if you're a caregiver for anyone, you know, a small child or an older person or a neighbor or whoever, like God bless you. That's that's um, such a such a, a great way it of is. expressing what what it means to to be a human being and and what it means to to be a, a, a Christian, to really be a Christ follower and and supporting and loving the the person next to you. That's um, what a gift and what a gift that you're doing that. You know. Um, uh, there are resources out there for caregivers too. And I think that's important for people to know. Sometimes you can really pour yourself into this role um, and just and give of yourself and give of yourself. And it's really important to be able to take care of yourself too. So um, there are caregiver support groups out there. I'd strongly recommend looking into those if, if you're a caregiver. Um, there's there's resources if you're you know doing advanced care planning for your family. So, uh, you know, just if they need an advanced directive, if they need, um, you know, figure out what kinds of forms you need to fill out. Um, we have a website 
for the caring for the whole person initiative. It's called the the website is wholeperson.care, uh, w-h-o-l-e person.care, and a lot of those resources are out there. Um, just to just to give a quick shout out to that, um, and and to really say that that is a way um, in our society where we push back in, against this idea too that um, that anyone is a uh, you know is is a burden. Um, every single person is interdependent. Right, so we're we're, uh, we're we have some level of independence. Where we're able to make decisions for ourselves, and then we have other times when we're totally dependent on others. Every single one of us is dependent on someone. Um, we're dependent on our families, right? We need our friends. We we lean on each other, um, and so it's it's a gift to be able to recognize the dignity and the beauty of the person next to you when you are doing that caregiving, um, when you're supporting them through tough times. Um, you're able to see the face of Christ in that person, and that's um, you're just that's such a, a witness to to our society of, of uh, the, the gift of being human. That is so well said, Molly. Thank you. That's, uh, it is, it's, it's very noble. And uh, I, I, I still remember uh, uh, carrying my dad off to bed, you know, as he used to carry me off to bed, you know, many years prior, you know, and, and you just, you're just sort of returning the favor. I love that image. Yeah, because we we all need someone who's who's taking care of us and we'll have different moments in our lives where we'll be, you know, more fit and spry and other moments of our lives where where we, you know, will will our, our health will be in decline and we'll need someone to to take care of us. And so um that's that's part of being human and um it's it's a gift actually to be able to to go through that, um, to be able to recognize this is part of being human too. 